0: Hello, and welcome to episode six of Let's Run, the Western Mass Running Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Gaudet. This podcast is made possible thanks to the resources at East Hampton Media. I'm excited about this podcast, as it features a conversation with one of the most accomplished runners in Western Mass, Dawn Roberts. But in addition to her awesome running, Dawn has supported the running community and many others in so many ways. She's done a number of amazing things. 14 Boston marathons. She has a PhD in exercise science from UMass Amherst. She's currently an associate professor of physical therapy at Springfield College and is also a licensed physical therapist. She's done a ton of research on pediatric physical therapy and physical activity in children and adults. Numerous peer-reviewed publications, professional presentations, and abstracts. After the devastating 2010 earthquake in Haiti, Don has led physical therapy and occupational therapy students on several global health service trips to Haiti as part of Project Hope. Don was on the executive board of the Greater Springfield Harriers for seven years and was instrumental in the formation of the Western Mass Runners Hall of Fame, which had its first induction last year. Over the years with the Harriers, Dawn ran in 143 Snowstorm Classic races and was the top woman runner in 69 of them, and won her age group in 97 of them. She also ran with the Western Mass Distance Project, you know, that fast-running group. Dawn has been involved in fundraising for the Griffin's Friends Children's Cancer Fund since 1998. In 2012, she started the Winter Warmer Pub Run, a fundraiser for Griffin's Friends that takes place in Springfield every February. I could go on and on, and while accomplishing all these amazing things, Don is just a friendly down-to-earth person. Whenever I see her crushing it at a local race, she's always humble and supportive of everyone else. So now, here's my conversation with Don, and stay tuned afterwards for a summary of local running events. Including some exciting news about the lifting of COVID restrictions. It's my pleasure to welcome Don Roberts to the podcast. We're recording this podcast on Thursday, April 22nd, while Don is on her lunch break at Springfield College. Don, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. It's great to see you over Zoom and chat with you.
1: Oh, thanks for inviting me. It's great to see you as well.
0: So I think the last time we met what saw each other was um, back in, in February of 2020. It, it was the last Saturday morning greatest uh, Springfield Harriers uh, snowstorm classic race at Forest Park. And, and I, I think that was just before the pandemic had shut everything down. Um, and you were picking up yet another award for being the top female finisher for the 10 week series. and. I don't know if you remember that day. Uh, Some of us were celebrating Matt and Olivia's um, wedding. Uh, They they, they were getting married later that day. And uh, I think Olivia wore a wedding dress and I wore a bow tie and, you know, it was just, um, it was a festive
1: day. Yeah. I do remember that quite well. It was a a nice celebration. And I feel like that's probably the last race many of us have run, um, you know, over the past year, it was my last race for sure. So I'm glad we could go out celebrating, um, you know, with
0: a bang. Yeah, no, that, that was great. So um, anyway, so there's so much I'd like to talk to you about. And, and I know our time's limited. You know, in addition to your awesome running, I, I'd like to touch upon some of your other activities related to running. I'll talk about your uh, work as a licensed physical therapist, um, your research and teaching at Springfield College. You trip to Haiti after the 2010 earthquake, the, the Western Mass Runners Hall of Fame, which you uh, you helped start, and the pub run. So, uh, but Mm -hmm. but let's get started with your running. Um, So you and your dad, who your dad's quite an accomplished runner in his his own right, um, you started running for the Harriers in the early 90s. And I I believe you were at college at the time. You are at UMass Lowell. Um, Correct.
1: I started running um, mostly because I didn't have a car. And I got a job off campus um, coaching gymnastics, which I was a gymnast all through high school and um in order to get to my coaching job um if i couldn't catch a ride from a roommate i ran and it was about two miles each way and it wasn't in the best section of lowell so i you know had a little spring in my step to get to work um and one day i ran with one of my roommate's friends who happened to be on the track and cross-country team at umass lowell and he was shocked that i you know how fast i was running and i had no idea um so he you know pointed me out to the cross-country coach, who then you know, asked me to join their team, and to be honest, I really didn't know what cross country it was at the time. Um, and he just said, you know, go home and train all summer, and you know, come back in the fall, and if and if you're if you're good, you can you know be on the varsity team. So I really didn't know what that meant either. So I went home to Springfield, and you know, ran an hour or two hours every day as fast as I could. Um, You know, I looked up in the newspaper and saw that they had races at Forest Park every Wednesday, so I showed up at one sometime probably in, I think it was late June, um, and it was really a true cross-country race, and I was a little horrified that, you know, we had to go through a stream and mud, and there were parts I had to kind of climb up, and it wasn't really, you know, what I thought of as running at the time, and and now that's really my favorite kind of running. So um, that's how I met Peter Staz, um, who, you know, then recruited me to run for the, Greater Springfield Harriers that summer. Um, so Harriers, the did they have,
0: they did, um, back then, did they have a race team? Or maybe they still have a race team. They but... did.
1: They, they still have a race team. And back then, um, you know, it ebbs and flows over the years, you know, how big and how successful. Um, but yes, they certainly had a race team. They raced, you know, the Grand Prix series. At that time, it was still the New England Athletic Congress or NEAC, it was called before it was USATF New England but they had similar, you know, a New England race series and and the Harriers always sent a, you know, a field of women and men. Um, and Peter was really instrumental in, you know, recruiting and in getting runners to go to these races. So again, I was really a novice as far as I had no idea really what running was all about. But, um, you know, through meeting him and meeting, you know, other runners, um, I started to learn and I got my brother to come and run the 4th of July race, which was really my first road race. Um, And I remember I smoked him by like five minutes (laughs) because he had never run and he was in high school at the time. So he got motivated and he started training, um, which then got my dad kind of motivated. Oh, so you you know, know,
0: dad started, not the other way around.
1: Yeah. So, you know, my dad had run a little bit in the 70s, you know, during the running boom. And I vaguely remember, but he was a hockey player. He, you know, he played hockey and that was his gig. And um, so we started running, you know, and then my brother and I kind of went off to school and. My father kept running. And, you know, as I remember, at some point I came back from college and my father had gotten, you know, tremendously fast and he ended up, you know, ultimately being faster than my brother and I for many, many years. Mm So, um, yeah, so that's kind of how it all began. So your dad,
0: ran he he ran many Boston marathons, right? He, he, he
1: he did. He ran, um, you know, we, in 1995 or actually it was the fall of 94, we both ran, uh, the uh, Lowell Marathon, uh, the Bay State Marathon at Lowell to get our qualifying time. I ended up getting injured and I couldn't run the Boston Marathon in 95, but he went on and ran um, and then went on to run many, many over the years. we ran many together. Um, he was usually in front of me. Um, he's also paced me. This was back before they you know, were really, the security wasn't quite as high back then in Boston. So um, him and my brother um, over the years had jumped in at various miles and, and run with me in Boston. So those are some of my favorite memories of running Boston is knowing, you know, my dad or my brother was going to be at mile, you know, 12 or 14 or 15 to run the rest of the way with me. So, um, but we've also, you know, the three of us have run the race at the same time, but in different places on the course as well. So, and my dad has the family record. Um, I think he ran a 256 one year, I think when he was in his fifties, um, and my brother yet, has yet to beat that. He's tried a few times and gotten really close, but hasn't gotten that record.
0: So, so your dad is Art and, and your brother is, is? My
1: brother is Michael. He lives out in the um, Worcester area now. So still runs, he's uh, gotten into triathlons. He's a physical therapist as well. So, um, you know, we have that overlapping. I do some, he owns a PT practice there. Um, so I do some work in his clinic um, occasionally um, when he needs some help and uh, you know he treats a lot of runners and he's very active in the central mass running and cycling community.
0: Are you related to Seth
1: Roberts? No nope, no relation to Seth um, we've definitely crossed paths many times over the years and, and done a lot of events together um, yeah. but no relation. So
0: when you were running at Lowell then uh, so you were um, you ran cross country at Lowell so so um, how did you find time to to you know, get such great grades, you, I think you, you won um, the Chancellor's Medal for the highest GPA. Oh, wow,
1: you dug really deep, Tim, yeah, yep. <laughs> um, um... you know, and I always tell my students, because my students now, um, you know, some of them struggle with time management, and a lot of times it's because they have so much idle time, they, they procrastinate, and they don't get things done, so I tell them to keep busy, and, and I find that, you know, my students that are busy with athletics or extracurricular activities have a tendency to be more structured with their their time and their schedule, and that's pretty much, you know, what you have to do. You just, when you know you have to go to practice for two hours, and you know you're studying, and you have lots of homework and papers, and you know, clinicals and things you have to do, you you figure out a way to to balance it all. So I think it definitely helped me become organized and structured, and um, I feel like I did a little bit better in school when I was busy than when I had, you know, free time and to lounge around. So
0: yeah, I. I noticed that with my daughter so my daughter Liz played, you know, varsity soccer for Hampshire Regional and you know she it you know, was was involved with a lot of extracurricular activities and, and you know she learned good time management skills. But-
1: yeah, I think structure is definitely beneficial uh, you know for a lot of people as far as when they're trying to, you know, achieve certain goals. So that definitely helped me and I had wonderful teammates at you know UMass Bowl that we were kind of in the same boat in the same you know, academic programs. So we did a lot of training together and studying together. And they're still my dear friends today.
0: So you, you and your dad, you, you, then you both joined the Harriers in, in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And um, so you, you became very involved, both very involved with the club.
1: Um, you, yeah, over the years we've both been, you know, board members on and off, um, you know, done a whole bunch. We were there when the Harriers, you know, first opened Fast Feet as far as, um, you know, being a club involved with in the running store. Um, so yeah, for sure. We've seen the Harriers, you know, change over the years, as far as, um, kind of the different things they were doing, but, you know, it's a great organization. It's a great group of folks that are very passionate about, um, running and keeping, you know, running alive in this community. So, um, my dad was the race director of the Holyoke Marathon for many, many years, um, which as you know, is a tough thing, you know, 26 miles trying to, you know, make sure that you know runners are safe and you know across that length of real estate and, and dealing with multiple towns and um you know it's ch- challenging but you know he kept the spirit alive and uh you know finally yeah, no, retired and passed mm-hmm. that torch. I, i've
0: run that race uh and you, I, I know you've run it a few times uh, mm-hmm. joe martino was on my podcast a couple of weeks well last week and and um he um in his book he talks about running with the harriers back in the 80s mm-hmm. and they he devoted a chapter to a trip to California. <laughs> and I was surprised that, you know, the, the local running club you know, traveled across the country for, for an event. And so did you ever travel for any events outside of new England?
1: Uh, we did. Yeah. You know, the, the great thing is, again, is Peter who was president of the Harriers for such a long, long time, um, was really passionate about the team aspects of club running. And, um, really tried his best to make sure the club could participate in not only regional you know new england events but also the national cross-country championships some of the national track and field championships some of the national road race championships um so especially when fast feet and the harriers kind of merged it gave an opportunity for some funding sources um and yeah so in the 90s um you know we went out to portland one year and ran cross country nationals on a really muddy course i remember portland oregon um year a few years before that we went out to los angeles somewhere outside of los angeles and did a a really dusty awful course i remember for a cross country nationals. so so yeah I, I was definitely lucky to have the opportunity to travel with the harriers um you know and participate in these great events and and you know they had some phenomenal teams back then especially the men's team the men's masters teams and the men's senior teams. I mean, they have great success now, but back then they did as well, you know, always placing really high in some of these national races. So, um, it was wonderful to have a club that was so supportive and helping financially, you know, to, to be able to get out there. So those are some fond memories I have of those races.
0: Yeah. I think um, I joined empire one back uh, in 2015 and uh, so a lot of good support, you know, being part of a running club with other members. And I I remember when I, I wanted to run my first marathon. And so I, I got a lot of support from, you know, other, other club members. So,
1: um, yeah, and I mean, and it's great in our Western Mass community. I mean, besides just the clubs, it's just everyone's supportive of each other, regardless of who you run for. You know, I've trained with women and men from different clubs. And, you know, we overlap. And, um, you know, we're really lucky to live in a community that's small enough that, um, you know, everyone kind of knows everybody. And it's it's a really supportive community.
0: It, it really is. So um, so I'd like to talk about your Boston Marathons a little bit. You ran... Um... 14 I think or I don't have it right yeah, in front I don't, of you know me. to be
1: honest you asked me that before and I, I run a bunch I, I know I had a streak for a while before I got injured I my first one was the hundredth in 1996 and then I ran that was a big every, one
0: right they had that the, was a
1: huge one that was um, they
0: had almost at 40 the time it was
1: the biggest um, marathon in the world I think they had over 40,000 and it was a quite a spectacle as you can imagine um, and so that just made me fall in love with Boston and I you know ended up running another decade I think straight. Um, and then I had a few injuries in the mid 2000s that kind of backed off from marathons a little bit, um, but still ran in 2008, I think, and Then I took a few years off and I paced people and, um, you know, did a few bandit years again before banditing was such a, um, you know, faux pas in Boston, they actually used to celebrate and allow bandits. So I did uh, many bandit years, um, you know, kind of mid pack running with a lot of the Griffins friends folks um for charitable reasons and had some wonderful you know races there um and then went back after 2013 and ran legit you know to make sure i was following the rules in um for a few years 2013 uh, 14 and 15 and well, 15. then i worked in the med tent after that i've been working in the med tent well until last year obviously um i had a i think about 3 years working in the medical tent at the finish line which was um, I'd argue a lot more fun than actually running.
0: The race. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope I don't ever see you. There, if <laughs> yes. I'm running.
1: Uh, yeah. I'm never happy to see folks. I know. in the
0: <laughs> Yeah. I think um, my first one was 2015 and, and I remember you were on the, uh, the Harry's bus from West Springfield. Uh, you yep. were with uh, Laura Fusari. Yes.
1: Me and Laura trained together and um, ran together that year. That was a wonderful year. Um, and that's just when I think of Boston, they all kind of blend together, but I just think of the memories that I have with, you know, such amazing, powerful women and um, teammates. And uh, for sure, that was probably um, one of my best Boston yeah. Marathon.
0: Wait, did um, you ever run with your dad? Uh, do you ever like you and your dad go together and-
1: Oh, we've gone together several times, um, you know, on the Harrier buses over the years. Running from start to finish together, I don't think we have. He's a few years when I was running and he was not, he's jumped in and run, you know, 10, 12 miles. Um, my sister, uh, younger sister ran, I think twice. And um, he ran with her again. This is before they, you know, they didn't allow that. So um, he jumped in and he would run, you know, I think I know he ran, I think from 13 to the finish with her. And I ran for about four to 13 with her. So she had company the whole way. So, um, so yeah, we've never run together um, as official. Runners, but we've definitely run together in the race over the years. Right.
0: Right. So and you, you know, you, being on
1: the Harrier bus, um, you know, at the start and at the finish, and um, you know, those were some great times.
0: Right. So you mentioned Griffin's friends, and and um, you know, I've run with Griffin's friends. I, I know you. You, uh, I think I joined them like around 2015. I, th- I think you've been with them for well over 20 years. I think. Yeah. And, and the,
1: Gosh, that makes me feel
0: old. So, um, uh, but it, to to do help with the fundraising. You, I believe you started the uh, the winter warmer pub run in in Springfield.
1: We did so. Yes, I've been running with Griffin's friends, um, gosh, since '98 or '99, and um, Jason Dominic and I, who again is a longtime Griffin friender, um, started the pub run as a way to raise money. And we initially were, you know, thought it would just kind of be a small event with our friends, and we'd raise a couple hundred dollars and. Um, we were shocked the first year we did it, you know, that we had, you know, 200 people sign up and, you know, I, I, was really overwhelmed with the stress of it all. Um, you know, and since then we've kind of figured out how to manage that a little bit better, but, um, yeah, over the years, I mean, I think each year we have raised about three or $4,000 depending on the year for Griffin's friends. So I think we donated, you know, well over $20,000 to Griffin's, um, from that event and, and it's a fun event. It's a fun day. It's a little stressful, but, um, for me at least, but, um, you but know, people it for really it for enjoy eight
0: it. years now, right? So, yeah, so, eight there's, years. There's, so, there's you know, years. I keep
1: saying we're gonna, you know, try, we've changed the venues a little bit over the years. We've changed the course. We tried to, you know, try to contain as much as we can as far as safety, um, but um, yeah, it'll be it, this year would have been, I think, our ninth year. So um, hopefully we'll continue on to get to 10. That's my goal. I don't know if I can take much more than that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've always I, I wanted to run that, but it's it's always on the s- first Saturday in February, which is the same day as our Empire One. Bank. I
1: know it's always and it's always the Super Bowl or usually close to the Super Bowl weekend as well. So it becomes like this, you know, really epic weekend. Um, so, yes, it's always um, a challenge to figure out a date. And um, I know the first year we had a horrible snowstorm the day and we hadn't factored in snow, I don't know why, in <laughs> February. So, um, you know, the morning of the race, the governor declared a state of emergency and the roads all closed. And, you know, I was like, oh, we can still run. And, and then I realized I couldn't even get out of my driveway. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so we've had some, you know, challenges trying to figure out dates and times over the years, but yeah, uh, we try did, to keep it consistent.
0: Did you have any challenges getting the pubs to participate?
1: Uh, You know, not really, especially when we talk to them about the charity um, aspect of it. And, um, you know, it's It's really small. uh,
0: Just remind people. So Griffin's Friends, it's the children's...
1: um... So Griffin's Friends is an organization affiliated with Bay State Medical Center that, um, you know, their motto is to bring moments of joy um, to courageous kids. So they help children and their families, um, you know, with all sorts of external support while they're going through cancer treatments. Um, You know, they provide gift cards and meals and activities for siblings and support groups and pretty much anything a family might need that's outside of the medical aspect of care, Griffin's Friends is there. So, um, you know, what they've done has changed over the years. We used to do a lot of play activities, play dates, and that's changed just because of some of the requirements of the hospital. But, um, you know, anything the families need, Griffin's has helped with, you know, Thanksgiving meals. Um, you know, help with Christmas gifts, sending kids to, you know, summer camps, um, you know, so many different things. And um, to see 20 years worth of kids, um, you know, be able to benefit from that and and really grow and and heal and, you know, move on to be really productive adults is terrific.
0: Yeah, and I, you get to know the kids and the families and, and it's really- You so do,
1: nice. you do. And, you know, there's, um, you know, I can think of a number of, I, I keep calling them kids, but now they're in their 20s and in almost thirties for crying out loud, Um, you know, that I'm still in touch with that, you know, still have fond memories of Griffin's friends because it was, again, those moments of joy during their cancer treatments. So um, it's a great organization.
0: It sure is. So, um, so back to the pub run real quick, were you ever concerned when you started this that, uh, you know, folks would uh, enjoy too much? uh Oh,
1: Lord, of course. Yes. So, you know, we, we, you know, all we always, I always, you know, I don't have any beer that day and I watch everybody. We make sure everyone has a ride home and, and, you know, don't tell anyone this, but, you know, we choose the lightest and, you know, cheapest beer we can. So it hopefully minimizes a little bit. And We don't require people to actually drink the beer. year. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes we throw in extra features like jello shops, but those are very well um, controlled since I make them. I kind of minimize the impact of the jello <laughs> shops. so right, right. um yeah so that's always a worry and you know that's why we try to really watch who's who's you know joining us and that's why our original goal was to keep it just to our friends and it kind of expanded and contracted and now it's kind of just that perfect size where you know the people participating are people i know are responsible and i respect and um you know we always keep an eye out and make sure everyone has a ride home and is safe and enjoys the day you know, within the realm of what, you know, what the day is supposed right, to be right. about.
0: Well, well, it's for a great cause for sure. I, one last thing. I, I, I like the ad for the pub run. It, it, one of the statements was, um, reversal of fortune equals a DQ. So it's, it, <laughs> took, it took me a minute to figure out what that meant.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we borrowed honest. that from, you know, there's a few other pub run theories in the area. And I think we borrowed that slogan from, from them. <laughs> so I can't take credit for
0: that. Yeah. So, um, so of course you're a very accomplished runner. You, uh, you, I, it, it, I see you mostly at the, uh, the snowstorm classics. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know if that's your, you, you, you. prefer running in cold weather versus warm weather or, or not, but, but I, I know I do. Um, so do you have a favorite distance? I mean, you've run marathons in 5Ks and five Ks and 10 Ks. Any ultras? Um,
1: no, no ultras. I'm sure someday, but, um, you know, if you asked me that 10 or 15 years ago, I would have said the marathon for sure. I think as I'm getting older, I, I kind of like, you know, 10 miles, um, that kind of distance. Um, just because my body's, you know, it's older and the training for a marathon, it doesn't feel as good as it used to. So I do a lot of cycling um, cross training. So in the summertime, I bike more than I run. Um, in the wintertime, you know, when the weather's crummy for biking, I definitely run a lot more. Um, So, yeah, I think it's varied as I've gotten older. I've turned to trail running and mountain running a lot more over the past probably 10 years.
0: Yeah. Trail running has become very popular. Maybe it was always popular and I just didn't notice it, but uh, you know, I, I, I went a few times and I I think I mentioned on a previous podcast, I spent most of my time looking for rocks and stumps. And (laughs) I think there's a little hump that you have to get over before you could relax and enjoy it more, but
1: I agree. And I'm definitely a, a klutzy trail runner. So, you know, relative to my road racing road running times, I am a slowpoke. I'm a cautious, you know, trail runner, but I enjoy being out in the trails and uh and I feel like sometimes on my body, it except for when I fall, um, it, it feels a little bit better. So I try to, you know, throw a lot of that in, knowing that just don't look at the, you know, the pace of the time because it's always going to be a lot different than the roads.
0: Right, right. So um so Let's move on to some of your professional activities. Uh, You're a licensed physical therapist. um, And during my last podcast with Bill Rogers, he had mentioned the great work that physical therapists do to get athletes to recover quickly and stay healthy. Um, And I can speak from my own personal experience. I uh, I had a badly strained Achilles a few years ago. And it occurred at a time when I was registered for the Boston Marathon. And and I I saw a physical therapist that, that helped me recover more quickly and train and and it it really did help i i I don't know that i would have been ready in time without that help but uh so are you you still working as a a physical therapist
1: i do i do you know i obviously especially this year with covid i've focused a lot more on teaching because we've had a much greater teaching load doing hybrid and in person um but i do i do some um pt work um I work with adults with developmental disabilities, so I do a lot of that. I started my PT career working in pediatrics, actually, doing pediatric orthopedics. So I still do a fair amount of that. Um, And I also, like I said, work with my brother um, in his clinic um, when he needs help doing, you know, more kind of the typical, what you think of, like, rehab from orthopedic-type injuries. So I kind of mix it up a little bit, Um, but I also like some of the neuro um, diagnoses. So I do tend to kind of stray in that direction. And again, my initial career, I think the first five or six years, I did a lot of, um, pediatrics. So
0: we did a lot of research also in, in, I think, pediatric, uh, physical therapy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I went back and got my PhD and studied, you know, physical activity, um, in kids with disability and looking at, um, a variety of aspects of that. So, um, so, yeah, that's kind of where my research realm was. Um, I've kind of, in at Springfield College, I've kind of shifted and started looking at adults also, um, you know, with disability as far as, um, you know, when you have a chronic health condition, um, what does physical activity do? Does it hinder health and that sort of thing?
0: So has any of your research informed your running in any way? Have you learned things in your research that have helped me. Oh, for sure.
1: Running? I mean, I just think of, you know, the research, even just reading some of the current literature and research over the years um, has changed kind of how I train. Um, I definitely, you know, look at what I used to do and what I do now. And, you know, training hard, you know, my hard days, I go hard, but I go easy a lot of days. Um, I realize I probably don't need the volume that, or, and people in general don't need the volume of running that they think they need um, in order to maintain their speed or increase their speed. So, um, so I definitely use a lot of the research literature that I read, um, to, and, you know, to work with my, to inform my patients and also in what I do. So, um, you know, it's nice to tell a patient like, Hey, you can go easy. And yeah, you really should, because all this evidence shows that, you know, you're much better off, you know, as far as soft tissue injuries, you know, taking a day or two off than you are trying to go seven days a week. So some people almost need that permission, um, you know, to modify their training.
0: Yeah, I, I know folks who run every day. And, and um, you know, we, we have conversations about that and uh, the, the benefits of taking a day off. And uh, I, I definitely subscribe to the take days off uh, theory. So It's a
1: struggle. Some people have difficulty with it. And it's, you know, then you get the psychological aspect. I do. I have difficulty Um, You know, I know I need to rest, but sometimes I just don't want to because I enjoy the mental health aspect of going out for a run. So, um, you know, and recognizing, you know, what can your body tolerate as far as tissue load? And, you know, I sometimes go right to the edge and then I go, oh, you know what, I'm starting to feel this and this and this and this. I think I need to back off today. So, you know, I try to educate my patients that way. And I really try to practice what I preach, but it's challenging for a lot of people. Yeah,
0: so are you? Uh, uh, have you had any uh, injuries that you've had to deal with that required physical therapy?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot over the years, um, you know, I've had some chronic hamstring tendinopathy, Achilles tendon issues, you know, kind of the same thing that all runners have, right. plantar fascia stuff over the, you know, so things ebb and flow. Um, right now, things are kind of all calm and seems yeah, to be it's, working it's right, right. right, but they're there, they're lurking in the background, ready to come out as soon as I stop doing my mobility or stop doing some strengthening.
0: <laughs> yeah. My, so my wife, Cindy's a, is a nurse and she, she always tells me that nurses make the worst patients. So I don't, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you do, you, do you struggle with following your own physical oh, therapy sure. advice? Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. Like I, you know, again, my brother's clinic has some great PTs and sometimes I'll ask their advice or opinions and, and I completely respect and agree with them, but I still don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm no different than anybody else.
0: Right, right. So, and, and of course, you, you teach students and um, to be, become physical therapists. Yeah. So um, do you ever look for patients to use for examples for your teaching?
1: Oh, for sure. I do. I mean, not only patients that actually physically come in and, and you know, will be mock patients for my students to practice on um, or do telehealth with, has been this past year. Um, but even just, you know, when I'm coming up with cases for examinations or, um, you know, to use in class, I always... Um, They're always based on someone I know. so (laughs) I never tell the students that and I keep it very anonymous, but there's always, you know, oh, I remember that patient with Achilles stuff. I'm going to write, you know, uh, that's going to be my case today. So, so yeah, it's very, it informs my teaching for sure. And it's real life. So I try to give them, you know, this person won't take a day off or, you know, I try to give them the reality of what they're going to see when they work with real people and, and let them try to figure out how they manage that.
0: Right. So, so in 2015, you led a global health service trip to Haiti and with, uh, I believe there were 11 PT and OT students um, to help with their recovery after the devastating 2010 earthquake. Uh, that, and that earthquake killed over 300,000 people, injured several hundred thousand more, and left more than 1.5 million people homeless. Um, so what was it like uh, going to Haiti?
1: Yeah. So I've been there actually... Um gosh, seven or eight times now. Wow. Um, I initially went after the earthquake in 2013, I think was my first visit there, um, with an organization, an NGO called Project Hope. And um, they were funded by uh, USAID, uh, uh, the United States government, to go and um, try to improve the infrastructure for providing rehabilitative services um, in Haiti. Because before the earthquake, there weren't any services for folks with disability. Disability really wasn't seen in the public. It was kind of shunned. Um, The culture of disability in Haiti was very different. Um, There were so many injuries, amputations, head injuries, um, spinal cord injuries after the earthquake um, that it became much more public. And so, you know, they needed some infrastructure to try to treat some of these individuals. So I was part of an organization that, you know, tried to set up some rehabilitation clinics throughout the country. to to help serve some of the folks that were left with permanent disabilities. So um, in some aspects, it was successful. In other aspects, you know, it was not a failure because the sustainability piece um, is always challenging. And when USAID kind of pulled funding, um, you know, without money, a lot of these things went away. So um, some of those clinics are still working. Some of them are not. Um, I had the opportunity to meet some fabulous therapists and I made some connections and um, he allowed me to bring students there um, with Springfield College for many years, um, up until about I think 2019. We didn't go because there was some um, some political unrest in Haiti at the time, so it was unsafe, um, you know, to to bring students. Um, but it really let the students see the um, you know what healthcare looks like in a different place, and and they got to learn so much about um, you know low resource communities and how and how healthcare looks different in low resource communities. So it was a phenomenal learning experience um, for our students um, that they got to benefit from that. And you know, I, I'd like to say we help in some capacity because we try to promote the clinics that are still open and help them with fundraising. Um, the Ministry of Health in Haiti, you know, is up and down with how much money they give these clinics. So they're always running on shoestring, shoestring budgets. So The students that have gone to Haiti now go out and they help fundraise and get donations as far as equipment and money and um, even training for some of the therapists. So um, we try to kind of keep the sustainability and the continuity going through that. So so that's what I've been doing in Haiti. Um, I'm hopeful that at some point in the future, we'll be able to go back the past two years. We have not between covid and um, some political unrest in the country, which made it not super safe um, again to bring students somewhere that they're not too familiar with.
0: Yeah, I saw a recent story that um, a decade after the earthquake, that the country is still struggling.
1: Yeah, it's an unfortunate, it's a beautiful country. Um, you know, and I always think, I feel like Haiti's been treated like, um, you know, the abused spouse um, for years and years by other countries, even our own um, the United States. Um, and, you know, a lot of money was put into Haiti, but it didn't go to the right places. And, yeah. you know, there's, a, you know, pretty extensive documentation on you know, where that money went. And unfortunately, it didn't chuckle down where it was supposed to go. So, um, you know, I'm hopeful that that in the future, you know, with a change in political affiliations, that will change.
0: Sure. Uh, yeah. It that, that doesn't feel that the situation there is getting enough attention in, in the media. In the,
1: you know, no, it's right. not. You really have to dig for it. You know, I, I pay attention to it, obviously, because I have friends that live there. And, and, you know, but to, you know, to really get information on Haiti, you either have to, you know, look at some of the Miami newspapers or go to some of the international, you know, press publications.
0: Yeah. That's a great work that you do. So um, I'd like to now talk about the uh, Western Mass Runners Hall of Fame.
1: Um, yeah. So there were several of us that, you know, talked about, tossed up this idea for years, recognizing that, you know, we had so many great things and, and people that were really fundamental um, in you know, kind of creating the community that we had in Western Mass for running. And we were, we wanted to be able to recognize them. So, um, you know, we sat down and we wrote some bylaws and we kind of, you know, got together and and started this Western Mass Runners Hall of Fame um, probably in 2017, 18 and 19. Um, We had our first um, class that was inducted in March of 2020, which was literally the week before, I think the whole world shut down. Um, so it was the last social event many of us attended. It was, a, um, and it really celebrated the, um, kind of the founding folks in the Western Mass running community, as far as, you know, who started these running clubs, who put on races, you know, back when running was becoming popular in Western Mass. And then who are the, you know, the rock stars folks like Nancy Kahns and Dan Dillon, these people that grew up right in Western Mass that ran on an international stage that, you know, we wanted to make sure they were recognized and remembered. So that's kind of how the Western Mass Winners Hall of Fame started. And I'd like to put a plug out for, you know, anybody interested, we have a phenomenal board. We have some board member openings. We're always looking for help, um, especially with fundraising to keep this going and and moving and, and sustainable in the future. We need to make sure we secure, you know, regularly, you know, fundraising. Um, and we also, you know, obviously need some help with social media because there's all these old people trying to, you know, do social media posting for the Western Mass Runners Hall of Fame. And, and it sometimes just isn't, doesn't work. So I right. think we need some, some young guns that know how to uh, get the word out and, and use social media a right. little more effectively than we do um, to try to make sure that this is something that stays part of our running community.
0: It's a great Anyone that's interested,
1: you can get my information from Tim, and I'm happy to welcome you aboard.
0: About the communities uh, created Hall of Fames, I think there's a National Runners Hall of Fame.
1: Yeah, so there's a National, there's, you know, Colorado Runners Hall of Fame, a lot of, you know, um, Maine has a Runners Hall of Fame. And, you know, we wanted to make sure it was unique to our community because, again, it's a small community, but there are, you know, several key folks that that just played a role in making it what it is today. So, um, and a lot of those folks are getting older. And we don't want their stories to disappear, so, so we the, thought this was a way to do it.
0: So the first class was uh, Peter Stats, Carol Lesbrants, and Dennis Childs. Mm-hmm. Um, so have the uh, inductees been selected for the next ceremony in 2022? They have.
1: So what we're doing, you know, obviously 2020, we, you know, or 2021, which would have been this March. We what we did is we're going to do biennial or every two years. So the class of 2122 has been. Um, selected um, has not yet been announced, but I can tell you it's a diverse, phenomenal class of um, you know, very talented folks, um, very dedicated folks, and very worthy individuals that um, we're excited to announce shortly. So Great. that will be coming. Our goal is to have the induction in March of next year, the week before the St. Patrick's Day race. And before that happens, obviously, we'll announce who the class will be.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I I think I know one of them, but I'm not going to.
1: <laughs> Everything is unconfirmed at this moment.
0: Right. So. <laughs> great, great. So, um, Don, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. Um, I, I I hope we can do it again. Maybe uh, if assuming that the podcast is still um, active in in the winter, maybe before the the pub run or before the the runners Hall of Fame meeting, we could have another podcast and just publicize those events.
1: Yeah, that'd be terrific. Again, the more, we, the more we can get the word out, the better.
0: Great, great. So um, thanks again. And I hope to see you at a race uh, really soon.
1: Well, thanks. This was great. And yes, I, uh, I hope that we're all running again in races soon.
0: Last week, Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker announced more rollbacks of COVID restrictions. Starting on May 10th, races and other athletic events will be allowed, but organizers must first submit plans to local boards of health for approval. I believe that the first local race to take advantage of this is the seventh annual Celebrate Kate 5K, scheduled for Sunday, May 16th at Nathan Bill's in Springfield. I spoke to Tim Murphy this past week, whose four run three business will be timing the Celebrate Kate 5K. And Tim indicated that it is scheduled to take place as an in-person event with a virtual option. Check the website for details. By the way, Tim and Jill Murphy from 4Run3 will be the featured guests on my next podcast. Another indicator that in-person events will be returning soon is that the New York Roadrunners, the club that puts on the New York City Marathon, announced the return of its first regularly scheduled race since the beginning of the pandemic. The club said that it will hold the annual New York Mini 10K on June 12th. The 10K woman-only race has been held annually since 1972, with the exception of last year. And the Providence Marathon took place this past weekend. The field was limited to 1,000 runners instead of the usual 5,000, and they implemented something called a pulse start in which six runners were sent off every 10 seconds. New Hampshire is also getting into the in act of in-person running. The Smutty Nose Will Run for Beer 5K showed up in my Facebook newsfeed today. It's a 5K in-person race at the Smutty Nose Brewery in Hampton, New Hampshire on June 20th, followed by, you guessed it, beer. <laughs> Unfortunately, the Vermont 100 Ultra event, originally scheduled for June 16th, was canceled just this past week. So not everything is back yet. My friend Sarah Bousquet, who I plan to have on an upcoming podcast to talk about ultra running, was registered for the Vermont 100, but unfortunately she won't be able to run it this year. For in-person running in Western Mass right now, your best bet is to run one of the weekday evening time trials that are put on by the local running clubs. The format is essentially the same for all of these. You show up and register, run and time the course on your own, and then submit your time where you registered. Results will be posted on the corresponding Running Club website. Make sure to wear a face mask and practice social distancing when checking in and submitting your time. On Monday evenings in Stanley Park and Westfield, the Empire One Running Club hosts three-mile time trials. Check in at the small gazebo. Run on your own between 5.30 and 7 p.m. On Tuesday evenings, the Sugarloaf Mountain Athletic Club hosts time trials on their 5K cross-country course. Register on Burt's Pitts Road in Northampton. Run on your own between 5.30 and 7. On Wednesday evenings, the Greater Springfield Harriers host their Summer Sizzler time trials at Forest Park. These races alternate each week between an on-road 8K and a cross-country 5K route. The event on Wednesday, May 5th, will be on the 8K on-road route. Register between 5.30 and 6.30 near the Walker Grandstand across from the basketball courts. And on Thursday evenings, the Empire One Running Club hosts 5K time trials at Ashley Reservoir in Holyoke. Check in under the canopy in front of the Holyoke Elks, then run the 5K course on your own, and then submit your time. Do this between 5.30 and 7.30, and the Elks is open for pre- and post-race activities. If you're willing to travel to Connecticut, the Hartford Marathon Foundation has at least a half dozen in-person events throughout the summer, Because of COVID restrictions, these events will start in waves and will have limited fields, so they may sell out more quickly. The Yukon Health Iron Horse Half Marathon 10K and 5K takes place in Simsbury on Sunday, June 5th. Check out the Hartford Marathon Foundation website for details. If you're interested in the New England Challenge Series Marathon and Half Marathon on Thursday, May 20th, the Old Colony Marathon takes place at Stanley Park in Westfield. And then on Friday, May 21st, the Nutmeg State Marathon takes place at Goodwin Park in Hartford. These are in-person events and are Boston qualifiers. And if you're interested in the New England Series Marathon and Half Marathon, not to be confused with the New England Challenge Series races that I just mentioned, then the Connecticut event is in Simsbury on Friday, June 11th, and the Massachusetts event is at Ashley Reservoir in Holyoke on Sunday, June 13th. I do not believe that these events are Boston qualifiers. For an up-to-date listing of Western Mass races and events, Rob Landry updates the list regularly on the Greater Springfield Harriers website. or check out runningintheusa.com. Thank you for listening to the Let's Run Western Mass Running podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and share with your friends. And as always, happy running.